but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The point of being a Christian is to show the world how glorious Christ is. We exist so that Christ is magnified. We exist so that people will see the goodness and the glory of God. And that's what what Peter is saying right here, is that there, as we talk about this faith in the furnace idea, that we have to have an understanding of why we exist, why we are here, why we are doing what we are doing. It is to glorify God and that the things that we do and the actions that we take, that they would ultimately point to the greatness of God. The reason why that is important is sometimes, I think particularly over time historically, that we can have the mentality that Christian morality is about us doing good and then looking down our noses at other people going, well, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you good like me? Why don't you do a bunch of good things as if that's what it's all about? Let's just make a bunch of people all be good. And while society might be nice as we all outwardly conform to a bunch of rules, that's not what God was intending. The reason we do what we do and the reason we do good and do what is right and do what God says is so that God would be glorified, so that people would see that following him and following his commands and living a life for him is the best life of all. That's what even Jesus was saying. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that you can condemn people and be really mean at them and tell them, you know, you guys should be as good as me. <clears throat> no, so that when they see your good works, they glorify, they give glory to God or to your Father who is in heaven. Here's Jesus giving that same picture. Why are you doing what you do? So that God would get the praise. So that people would turn and choose to glorify God rather than anything else. And most closely to our context, what we looked at a few weeks ago. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter has this repetition, the same that Jesus was teaching about our existence is so that God gets the glory. Now, the challenge of this series that we are talking about is that we then are intending to live as God's people so that God gets the praise in the midst of a society that has no regard for God, that is actually going to be hostile to God. That is going to cause you suffering for following God. That's the idea of faith in the furnace is how do we live as the people of God so that God gets the glory when there is a time when we are dealing with resistance and adversity and attacks? How are we supposed to live in such circumstances? And Peter is addressing that. And that's what we've been looking at in chapter two. Lord willing, this is going to be a pause in this series. It's an intended pause. 
I wanted to do some of these lessons from chapter 2 in First Peter. In a few months, we'll come back. We'll pick up faith in the furnace again. And we'll talk about some of the other chapters that are in Peter where he continues to talk about these practical things. I want to get back to Matthew. So we'll come back to Matthew for a little bit. Then we'll bounce back over there and keep these series kind of going hand in hand. So how are you supposed to live? I want you to notice chapter 2, verse 21. You have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. And look at verse 21. Peter says there in verse 21 that Jesus has left for us an example. And that's, that's pretty obvious. I think we understand that idea. The idea of being a Christian means we're going to follow his examples. We're going to walk in his footsteps. We're going to model our life after him. And sometimes the thing that we miss about the idea of following in the footsteps of Jesus and following his example and living how he lived can miss on this one right here. Notice verse 21. He says there, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Ever thought about the suffering of Christ that way? Sometimes we only think about the suffering of Christ in terms of a salvation picture. We needed Christ to come, give his life, die, raise from the dead, ascend to the Father. And that is what brings about this new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, puts us in right relationship with God. We can have eternity with him. And all of that is is accurate. But there's another point. Here is the picture that one of the reasons why Christ suffered was to leave us an example. That we would follow what he followed. That we would do what he did. And we would walk in that very same example. And that's what Jesus has to go around telling people all the time. Jesus, when disciples or want to be disciples or people that are following him and are looking to be with him, Jesus' answer to them is a really critical answer. It's something we're going to get to look at over the next few weeks and why this is the intended pause. As in Matthew chapters 8 through 10, there's going to be a lot of people who want to follow Jesus. And here is an answer of what Peter says that looks like. And what Jesus walked around saying was not. So what I want you to do to follow me is if you'll just go ahead and grab your comfy bed and pillow and follow me, it's going to be great. You know, we'll drop that bed wherever we stop. It's going to be great, comfy, relaxing, enjoyable, pleasant. Jesus dissuaded people from following him. And he used one of the most graphic things you could have possibly used in the first century. If you want to follow me, you're going to carry a cross. And that's what Peter is talking about, is that In following Jesus, we have to follow the example of his suffering. Now, for a long time in our society and in our culture, we have been fortunate and blessed to not have to have a lot of resistance for the proclamation of our faith and the proclaiming of Christ and the desire to worship Not a whole lot of resistance. I would say probably the strongest amount of resistance is usually something verbal, something insulting, perhaps at most that we've ever had to endure. 
Peter is writing to a group of people who are going through much, much worse. But we are living in a time right now and in a society where that is beginning to shift. And as that shift occurs, we have to be mindful of what Peter says we're supposed to do in our efforts to follow him. What's it going to look like to follow Jesus when society is resistant to it? When you're trying to do what is right and they are causing you trouble. And that's ultimately the picture that's being given to us here in verse 21 is saying that Jesus came and suffered, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. I want you to deal with this suffering and deal with this resistance in the exact same way that Jesus did. That's the challenge that Peter is throwing down in this verse. He's trying to get us to see we need to look to that example of Jesus. And so he saved us, but it wasn't only for saving, but for the example that he put forward. So notice what the calling is. Back up to verse 18 now. First Peter 2 verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, for it and endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Interesting picture of what this calling would look like. And he gives a picture here that we don't have. Verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all respect. In the first century, you can imagine more what that would look like. In the Roman Empire, as scholars estimate, you had somewhere between 25% and 40% of people who were enslaved. That would happen through either conquest of peoples and nations That would also happen because you put yourself into debt and it's not like you pulled out a visa to pay for it, but instead you then worked it off and you had to work off years to be able to pay off the debts that you incurred. And so I want us to have in mind that is a different scenario in one major respect. For for us, our employment is voluntary. And, And for them... They could not put in a two weeks notice and say, you know what, I'm going to go work for somebody else. I'm not going to take this anymore. So it's tougher for them. And I want you to hear what what Peter is saying to them. I, I want you to submit yourselves to them with all respect. I want you to respect them. I want you to do good by them. I want you to do what is right by them. And I think that is an important picture that is given, especially when you notice the rest of verse 18. Not only to the good and the gentle. (laughs) Say, sure, I'll respect that person who's over me as long as they're nice to me. As long as they treat me right. As long as they do what is right, fair, and just. Then I'm going to give them my respect. And I'm going to work hard for them. But they better be good. And I want you to notice what what Peter is saying is he goes out of his way to make the point in in verse 18 and says, but also to the unjust. That word under unjust can also mean crooked. 
perverse. Some translations reflect that. He's not a good person. He's crooked. He's unjust. He doesn't do what's right. And he says, I don't want you to merely respect them when they're nice and kind, but even when they're harsh, even when they're doing something that's unjust, you need to still do what is right. You still need to show respect. And I want you to notice what he's envisioning here is that you are going to do good and still serve, work hard, do right, and it's going to cause you problems. Now, he wants to make clear that the reason for your problems are because you are doing what is good and right. Did you see that there in in verse 20? What credit is it if when you sin and you're beaten for it, you endure? (laughs) I think this is a really important point. We cannot sit back and go, Well, the reason I'm suffering is because of the foolish decisions I'm making, but I'm enduring for Christ. No, you're enduring for your bad decisions. (laughs) Peter says there is zero credit for when you sin, make mistakes, do things that are wrong, open your mouth, say things that are incorrect, and you suffer for it, and you go, oh, that's the cross I have to bear. He goes, no, no. Self-inflicted. Don't let your suffering be self-inflicted. There's no credit for that. You being rude is not a credit to God. And you're not carrying a cross for Christ because you're dealing with the blowback of being a mean person. Now what he's talking about here is suffering and you did what was right. Verse 19, enduring sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, if when you do good and suffer for it. He's not talking about doing wrong and suffering. He's not talking about doing evil and suffering. He's not talking about not following the example of Christ and suffering for it. He's talking about you're actually doing what you're supposed to do. You do what is right and you suffer because of it. You say what is right and you say what is kind. You say what is good. You say what is pure. You do what is holy and that causes problems. That's the realm he's talking about. So take out all the things that were, you know, I was a meathead and I put my foot in my mouth and that's all out. No credit there, he says. But he does have the picture of there is a credit before God for doing what is right and suffering for doing it. And I think this is an important picture that is ultimately given to us because that's what he wants us to really think about. If you'll notice what he says there in verse verse 20, but if you do good and suffer for for it, you endure, it is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now keep going, skip over the big number on the way. For to this, you have been called. You have been called to do good 
suffer for it unjustly and endure it. I don't like this. Let's stop the sermon. No good. That doesn't sound like any fun at all. We have been called to do good, suffer unjustly for it, and notice the rest. Please don't put the period there. And endure it. Or to do verse 18, still respect people. Still do what's right. Still be honorable. You have been called to this. What an important picture that's given to us. And notice what the phrase that he uses. Being mindful of God, you endure this. And the wording that he gives at this, I think, is so important. Notice in verse 19, the ESV reads, For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. Do you see what's happening? You're doing good. You're doing what's right. You may have somebody over you who is harsh, who is mean, who is cruel, who is crooked, and you're still respectful. You're still doing what's right. And as you are doing what is good and you are respectful and doing what is right, and you're doing it because you are mindful of God, you suffer. You have a problem that happens against you because of that. And he says in verse 19, that's a gracious thing. Some translations, favor with God. Verse 20, but if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Twice he said it. Two times he says, When you endure suffering unjustly for doing right, you have the favor of God. In fact, he says, you've been called to this. Now, here is why I think this is very important to zero in on. As we talk about the shifting of society and the shifting of culture. It's interesting to observe in the month of June that there is now some difficulty for Christians, particularly in the corporate world, because of the pride of sexual sins in our world. That there is now a push that you need to wear a sticker, wear a pin, you need to do something to belong to the approving culture of our corporation, and our corporation is affirming that. I am aware of some Christians who were threatened with their jobs back in June because of where that stand is. We are no longer in the theoretical. You might have saw it made a little bit bigger news in the month of June. There were five baseball players on the Major League Baseball team, the Tampa Bay Rays. And though that team had chose to put the flag uh, for the pride of June on the sleeve. Five of them chose not to. Those five were immediately put under pressure by the media. Why are you doing what you're doing? And their answer was great. It does not conform with our faith. We are not being hateful. But that we do not believe that this is right. And I just want you to see these as examples of we're moving fast to a resistance 
We're moving fast to where you are going to be treated unjustly and suffer while still being respectful and honorable and trying to do what is right. And Peter says, when that happens, I want you to endure it. For this you have been called. We have been called to have that happen. The reason why that is so important is because I believe what will happen within us internally is there's going to be a great temptation to believe that we are doing something wrong and we need to conform to the world around us. We're going to want to evaluate ourselves and go, well, maybe I'm in the wrong. And I want you to see in Peter's world, this is exactly what they're dealing with. They're they're trying to do what is right, say what is right, live what is right, and it's going to be a problem to you. And Peter says, be respectful, verse 18. Endure, verses 19 and 20, because you have God's favor when you do. God hasn't left you. God's with you in this, but it's going to happen. It is going to be a challenge. You are going to have to endure for living right and doing right. So I think to me, the big question is, so how are we supposed to do that? How can we endure? I think within humans, God has wired us to be upset and angry with injustice. And it is probably the most difficult when you are on the receiving end of injustice. This isn't right. This isn't fair. This shouldn't be happening. I don't deserve this. I only did what was right. So notice what Peter says about that. Verse 21, he told us that we're going to follow the example of Christ. He says, for this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not he did not threaten. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Four pictures that are given here of that, about the example of Jesus that we're supposed to follow. First example is in verse 22. Jesus did not sin when he was mistreated. That's verse 22. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. He is being treated unfairly. He is doing what is right. He is saying what is right. He is saying it in the right way. It's not because of him in terms of he did something wrong. And he's receiving all of this suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, Peter says, he did not sin. Here's why that's important. Sometimes we can think that when somebody is doing something wrong toward us, that I have a right to do wrong back. 
They are not being just. So therefore I can do. Or I can say what I want to say. Let's take it really low level. Really, really low level. The boss is crooked and he is unfair. So it's okay if I take. Fill in the blank. Real low level. They aren't doing what is right, so it's okay for me to steal. It's okay for me to take. It's okay for me to fudge a little on the hours worked. I, I'm worth more anyway. Totally underpaid me, the lousy guy. I, 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 you know, I have to do these things that are, you know, not even counted on my on my worksheet. So clearly, I have a right to. Jesus did not sin. Even when mistreated, even when it's not just, when it's not right, when it's unfair, go back to verse 18. Not only when those over you are good and gentle, but they're terrible people, don't sin. That's the example first left for us. We cannot slander. We cannot be malicious, cannot have outbursts of wrath, show hatred, commit the works of the flesh because we're so upset about it all. You have been called to follow the example of Jesus. First example, when suffering mistreatment unjustly, you don't have a right to sin. You don't have the right to do wrong. You cannot justify it and say, well, because of then I can, no, you still must do right. Number two, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Think about it. Think about all the insults. The text doesn't even record all of the insults that he endured. You only get maybe one or two, you know, if you're really who you say you are, then tell us who spit on you. Or if you really are who you say you are, come down off the cross. Who knows what all of the other insults were? Who knows how else they reviled? All the things they could have said about him. Verse 23 when he suffered, he did not threaten. Boy, there is somebody who had the ability to threaten. Man, I've told you before, if that's me on the cross and they say, hey, if you're really a son of God, come down off the cross, man, nails are flying off of me. I am coming down and going, you guys are toast. <laughs> prove it to you. Or Jesus is all on the cross and knowing, you guys are going to get it. Just wait for three days. You guys are done. <laughs> when he suffered, he did not threaten. When we are going through things that are unjust, unfair, not right, we don't retaliate. We don't threaten. We don't insult in return. We don't fight fire with fire. We don't go, well, if they say that, then that gives me the right to say this. Or if they do this, then that gives me the right to do that. You started it, so I get to finish it. That's our culture, right? 
You start something, I'm going to finish something. He did not return it back to him. He did not threaten. He did not insult. He didn't do any of those things. It is so important for us to keep that in mind. Retaliation is such a great temptation. Especially when it's not fair. I'm going to right the wrong. It's not fair what they're doing. I'm going to right the wrong. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to fix it. It allows me to be lawless. It allows me to do wrong. It allows me to sin. It allows me to say these words because this isn't right. This is unfair. This is unjust. Peter says, Jesus didn't do that. When they insulted him, he did not say an insulting word back. I bet he could have had some good ones to say. And when they were making him suffer, he did not threaten. He had some things he surely could have threatened. So how did he do it? Look at verse 23. He continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He left all of this mistreatment in the hands of God. Every bit of it. They said something sinful. He didn't sin back with his words. When they were insulting, he wasn't insulting back. When they caused suffering, he wasn't threatening. You realize when you read the text, the soldiers are hitting him in the face and spitting on him. And he's just sitting there. He's just taking it. Not a word recorded. He could have named all of their names. I know you and I know your mother and they're going to know. I know your name and your name and your name and I know where you came from and I know where you live and I know how much you get paid. I know everything. He could have done it. He just sat there and took it. Was it fair? No. Was it right? No. Was it just? No. But he entrusted himself to God. He entrusted himself to his father. It is so important that God sees what we are experiencing and we rest in that knowledge. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That means we trust that God sees what is happening to us. We believe that God sees the injustice while we are doing good. He sees what is unfair. He sees that you are enduring it and not sinning and not retaliating, but still being respectful and doing what is right. And that's why Peter can say twice, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God because God sees it. God knows you're doing that. God knows you're enduring. God sees that you are suffering without cause and you're doing what is right anyway. God sees that and you can put your life in the hands of God. He trusted the one who judges justly. Put this another way. Justice is not going to be here and now. God will bring justice. God will right every single wrong. 
He will take care of every single sin, every single wickedness, every single evildoer. He's got this. You don't have to go reach for it now. You entrust your life to the one who judges justly. Number four, verse 25. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. What a picture. I think I've missed that middle part. He bore our sins in his body on the tree and I want to jump and by his wounds we've been healed. Don't miss the middle. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We have been called to live differently. Jesus died so that we would live differently. Jesus died so that we would not return to sinning. Jesus died so that we would live different and not retaliate with our words or that we would sin because of what's been done to us or that we would return insults because of what they've said. He died so that we wouldn't do that, so that we would be dead to sin and alive to righteousness. We would live different by entrusting our lives to him who judges justly. Or to put it another way, verse 24, you've been healed. You've been healed by the wounds of Christ. You don't need to be a fighter anymore. You let God take care of it. You can endure in the sight of God because you have been healed by God, verse 25, and you have returned to your shepherd and overseer of your soul. You don't live that way anymore. When they say things, you don't say it back. When they do things, you don't do it back, even if it's unfair. Even it's because you're doing what is right and you're saying what is right and you are being respectful about it. We've been called to live different. That's what the whole of this is about. What do we start off with, with Peter saying in, 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 in chapter 2 and what Jesus said in Matthew 5? We do good works so that God is glorified. How is God glorified? When, when we do what is right and suffer for it, we retaliate. How is God glorified when we do what is right and suffer for it and we sin? How is it that God is glorified when we do what is right, suffer for it, and then we're going to go get some justice out of them for what they did? That's not entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. God is glorified when we do what is right, suffer for it, endure it, do not sin, do not retaliate, but live to righteousness in the face of all of it. That's what Peter says to do. Or to use verse 21. This is what you've been called to. This is the calling. This is what it looks like to carry the cross. Is that even though it's wrong, even though it's unfair, 
even though it's unjust, even though it's everything that within us just riles us up. Verse 17, we did this last week. Don't forget the reminder. Honor everyone. Love the family of faith. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We have a calling that has been exemplified by Jesus. He suffered for doing good. And so will we. He suffered unjustly. So will we. He suffered without retaliating. So we must also. He suffered and endured it. So we must also. And friends, God says it is to our credit. It is a gracious thing. It is the favor of God to suffer for doing right, enduring the sorrows and pains that come from that and still do right in following Jesus. The grace of God does not prevent pain. It's going to be hard. And I hope that you prepare yourself with a mind that it's not going to get any easier. So be prepared to suffer unjustly and still be honorable, still be respectful, still say the right thing, still do the right thing, and leave it all in God's hands who will take care of it when that day comes. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, these are challenging words. Lord, so challenging because we want to respond. And we often want to respond sinfully to when we are wrongly treated. And Lord, we really want to respond when we feel like it is an injustice that has happened against you and against ourselves because we've tried to serve you and follow you and say what is right and do what is right. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the frequency by which that we sin when people sin against us. Forgive us for when we retaliated against those who did harmful things to us. Forgive us for when we insulted and maligned and slandered those who did likewise to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a courage and a fortitude, a great strength so that no matter what lies ahead in terms of our faith in you, that we would be steadfast and immovable. Lord, help us to be faithful to you. We see a world that is moving further from you. And Lord, we know that that can cause us difficulties. Lord, help us to not shrink back. Help us not to hold back in teaching what needs to be taught. 
in saying what is right and in doing what is right. Lord, help us so that our actions glorify you and cause people to want to know more about you. Forgive us for when our actions have not done that. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live for righteousness, to live differently, to live in such a way so that no matter what happens to us, whether it be in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, living life in the world in general, that you would be reflected in all things. Forgive us for failing that. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter's rough. Peter points out the tough things of what it means to follow Jesus and carry a cross. But I hope you see the picture that it is a gracious thing in the sight of God, that there is justice that lies ahead, hope that lies ahead, eternity lies ahead. And we give you that call today to turn away from a life of sin, to confess Jesus to be the Son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins if you have not done that and to seek the Lord with all of your heart. We want to help you. You can talk to one of us afterward, talk to me afterward, or you can come forward now while we stand and while we sing.